This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. The funny thing about being interviewed in my like legal persona is when you go and speak at a legal conference or when you go and get introduced on a legal podcast, there's a very yes and sort of vibe, like you know, that like improv tradition of mm-hmm. if someone says something, you can't go, someone's like, hey, we're on the moon. You can't go, oh, no, nah, no, nah, we went back to Earth. Like we're no longer on the moon. <laughs> You're meant to be like, oh, yeah, we're on the moon. And here's a coffee shop on the moon or like whatever it is. And it's super boring. Um, but um, there's a very yes and element in these legal um, interviews and like legal conference speaking things. And the last three or four, I've had someone be like, hey, Here's James, her coffee and case note, uh, corporate litigator. He's done these things and he's my friend. And it's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you have to do a yes and. Like, I can't really get into it and be like, oh, actually, we're like, not really, like, we're really not each other. Yes, we hang out on the weekends (laughs) and the afternoons during the week. You've heard another voice uh, come on that we're really excited to have here. Um, Shag, who's, what lovely voice have we got Have we got today? Well, you know what? Uh, I'm definitely not going to call him our friend now because uh, we listen <laughs> I, to I'm him gonna all the time. I'm going to play along. I'm accepting it. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed okay. to say it. I'm giving the permission. Okay. All right. Well, this, this podcast is in many ways a work of outsider art in the sense that, as Peach says, he's a lawyer. He's not a pre- professional mm-hmm. podcaster. Neither am I. Neither of us are experts in film. So it's pretty amazing to have both of those (laughs) joining the podcast all in a rapper that is a very good friend of ours. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Alexi Toliopoulos, welcome back to Spooko. Oh, my pleasure to be back within Spooko. Best friends forever. Absolutely, um, absolutely. <laughs> Alexi, we got the gang back together. Um, you bet. Alexi is, as Shag rightly raised, one of the most film literate people we've ever had on the pod. Perhaps <laughs> Alexi can go toe to toe with Megan Riakos, who sort of wow. makes makes films as That's, well. And so, um, I don't know. Actually, maybe <laughs> Megan, yeah. Megan, Megan versus Alexi can knuckle up on that. <laughs> um, but like Alexi, we're now more than a few hundred. Sorry, we're now more than a hundred films mm-hmm. in, and we are film intrigued, but not film experts. And yeah. we're sort of circling a fundamental question that's really haunting the podcast, if you'll accept the horror theme. <laughs> and it's one Shag raised recently, and I thought you might have some good insults. Uh, in, in insights. Well, I'll try and do both for you. Hey, we'll see how we go, you we'll little see. turd muncher. <laughs> uh, so, Alexi, the theme the theme we've been circling mm-hmm. um, is: Are films boring? Wow! <laughs> Holy smokes! Okay, this is a tough question. Um, I would say that is difficult to answer, uh, and you know, appropriate. So, we're in the middle of the Sydney Film Festival at the moment. A lot of boring movies you could probably stumble <laughs> upon at the moment in the town that we call home. Um, 
I would say film is not boring. Film is the most exciting art form that there is because it brings everything together from every sense except for taste. Unless, <laughs> of course, you are sitting in the cinema and enjoying a beautiful bucket of popped corn and a frozen Coca-Cola beverage. Those are when you fully can encapsulate every sense including smell because you know the cinema does have a certain smell like it's undeniable <laughs> there is a crusty smell to many cinemas around uh and, you know of course how can it be boring when you enter a dark room and you must praise that the glowing rectangle is sitting in front of you that's that's exciting but here's the deal right you know mm-hmm. i set this up at the start by saying that our good friend alexi is a pro and that was off the dome you know, that Absolutely. was that was not a written statement he had prepared. That was up the dome there. So I'm going to ask you a way curly... It is curly... part of my manifesto, however. But... <laughs> well, look, I'm going to ask you a curlier question wow. that relates to the film we're going to do today, which I'm excited to say that I think you watched for the first time a mere few hours ago. Yeah. This question is, when it comes to zombies, do you prefer... Shamblers, aka slow walkers. This is your Romero style, if I'm getting yes. that right. Yeah. Yep. Or do you prefer runners, 28 days later style? Wow, Shag, this is. I thought the last question was difficult. <laughs> Good lord. Okay, this is tough. I think that if it really comes down to it, I do think I prefer the Shamblers, the classic Romero style of zombie. Um, I feel like runners. It's almost like a different type of fear you feel. Like the, uh, like in this film that we're going to discuss today, can I say the name? I, I reckon just do it. Drop the bomb. In Train to Busan, we've got the, the more modern style runners. And I think that it's a different element of fear. Like the shamblers, it's almost like you can never really feel safe because they are wandering around. I think with the runners... There's something different. I, I haven't really thought about it too much, but the fear feels different. The fear feels more in-the-moment fear rather than like that all-encompassing fear. But I think ah. Train to Busan kind of gets to both of them eventually. The Shamblers, you're still like, now what's this a metaphor for? Exactly. Every time you say that. <laughs> yes. That, Peach, that's exactly right. That's why I like them. I love that. I love that. So shamblers give space for existential dread, mm. but runners, you're purely in your head. You're in the moment, just being like, "I need to just get to the next thing," yes. and you don't Buddha have time. Would love to- Sham- Buddha, 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 <laughs> Buddha would love that. Now that's a freaking movie, dudes. That's a movie. Modified <laughs> zombie. Yes, dude. That is a picture. We gotta go picture officially within the first three minutes of the podcast starting. <laughs> All right. Well, look. You know. We've we've revealed the film, mm. uh, Peach. I reckon it's probably time to get straight into this trailer. Mm. So, guys, today on the podcast with guest Alexi Toliopoulos, we are doing from 2016, <laughs> Train to Busan. <laughs> Oh, 
I've been known to talk tough in the past, but I reckon I could watch this one. This one didn't look too scary. I'm I'm pretty excited. There was some awkward translation. There was the question, should you survive? Which is a strange rhetorical mm-hmm. point to raise, but I'm, I'm feeling good. Train to Busan, I reckon I'd watch it. Well, Alexi, I'm keen to hear because this, this is a straight up classic, mm-hmm. but you hadn't seen it until this morning. Tell me number one, what took you so long? And number two, what your immediate impressions of it are. Wow. Okay. So I would say what took me so long was, I mean, it's the main factor. It's a zombie factor. I think it came just after we had like that peak uh, in the genre cycle of zombies that we've had over like the last decade or so. And we were in the decline. And I would say as was my interest in the genre, Um, I feel like when we're in like the middle of a genre cycle, you can really get like completely swept up in it to a point. Like I think I was swept up in like this new modern era of zombies for a while, but then I think I really fell in with like the complete decline of it. Like there was a point where I stopped the walking dead and I never looked back. And when we're in like those midst of a genre cycle, I feel like I can still go back and watch classics. Like I got a big box of Dawn of the Dead, like right next to my head in this window <laughs> that I've been very much enjoying of like watching the Ramiro films. But I think that the modern era of zombies kind of stopped meaning anything to me. And they're too fast. You can't, you can't <laughs> exactly. see what they're doing. I want to see what's going on. I want to get to know their outfits and so they're seeing a little blur rushing at me. Um, and as well, I think like when there is like a... I, I missed the boat on Train to Busan. I didn't hear about it until people were already like waxing lyrical about it uh, in, in a pretty mainstream way. And I think that I tried watching it one time and I, as soon as I put it on, I was like, I'm absolutely picked the wrong movie for my mood today. And I just yeah. never really got back to it. <laughs> it could be because films are boring, though. That's like, <laughs> the other thing. You might have to but, but look, you, you finally saw it this morning to prepare yeah. for this pod. Mm. What did you think? Well, I would actually have to disagree with Peach because there's no way you can call this film boring. Because it has, like, such a propulsive energy to it for at least that first half of the film. For me, the first half of the film is why it's a modern classic. Because it feels it, very Fury Road. Like, I feel like the pacing, yeah. it just looked of, like, unrelenting of, like, stuff is happening. Yeah, it's real fast. It's really exciting. You feel that pressure building in a way as if there were hundreds of zombies trying to squeeze <laughs> through a small door inside a passenger train and their pressure's building up until they burst through. Um, so I think I really enjoyed this film, but I, my one criticism of like why maybe it won't connect with me as much is I really like when a genre film has like a tight, strange premise that's like really specific, you know, stuff like uh, like Escape from New York or something where it's just, you know, this is the world we're living in or The Warriors where it's like, this is the world we're living in, this is the place. And I feel like the premise of like zombies on a train is so cool that when the film has a derailment in the film and then <laughs> the film somewhat derails a little bit for me as well as far as like my excitement with it goes but it still has an emotional connection all the way through that i find the character arc in this film is something that was new to me in a zombie film and as soon as i 
kind of clocked what was going on. I'm like, oh, this is just the most perfect, simple character arc that should have been in zombie films for years. It's the last third of Casino Royale syndrome, where the first two <laughs> thirds you're like, oh, this is sick, and the last third you're like, who cares? A deadly syndrome many films are crippled by. <laughs> Well, I think what's interesting about this film is that there are a number of different character arcs and through the medium of Wikipedia synopsis, it's going to be hard to bring them to life. So it's going to be interesting to see how we do this. But look, if I could derail the propulsion of this conversation just for a second, before we get into this, I've mentioned this in the past. I've seen critics talk about this in the past and I'd love your opinion on this. Mine or... I'm I'm happy to... (laughs) So, you know, Train to Busan not only will be grouped under zombie horror, Mm. but will be grouped under either Korean horror or Asian horror. Now, do you think they exist as genres or is that Western audiences being like, oh, it's all in a different language, so it Mm. must all have its own vibe? Uh, I would say from a Western lens, they are grouped into genres because we kind of like accept them in cycles as well, like the same way that we uh, kind of declare genres in uh, in film talk, really. Like, I would say that the early 2000s, there was genuinely a trend of uh, J-horror, Japanese horror, cycling through that then they all got remade. And that was like two genre cycles that overlapped. And I think that when you look at it that way, that is why I think we do accept them as a genre, but it's so broad. Like you can't compare this to like a tale of two sisters, another Korean horror film, or it's just, it's so squarely in the generic mode of zombie films, but it's still, you know, they speak to a national identity as well. So it's tough to say. If we're diving into that genre question, it, f- it felt to me similar to Host, where the line between mm. fun, diverting action film and horror film, like sort of very gentle horror, like this feels very, I could watch it, sort of gentle, gentle horror Yeah, to me, similar to Host. I reckon you could absolutely watch this one. Like mm. there's, because uh, when you, the fear that you feel and the fear that kind of takes you out of a film to not enjoy Peach, is it, is it more... Is it more in the realm of spookiness, like that, or is it so, intensity? What what is it that freaks you out most? You would have seen, and I probably um, won't use the Daniel Radcliffe you. film Lady in Black. <laughs> I you won't use seen, it against you yeah. when you tell me. Don't worry. <laughs> I love that. I love that. After this podcast, you're going to orchestrate this experience <laughs> in Peach's life <laughs> to just terrify him to his very core. You would have seen the um, the Daniel Radcliffe vehicle Lady in Black. Yep. Um, whatever she was up to is really scary, uh, just as a, as a general premise. Yeah. See, Peach's oh. frame of reference for mm-hmm. scariness is either... The Dementors uh, in Harry I, Potter. Yeah, it's either yeah. Harry Potter villains mm-hmm. or films starring the leads from Harry Potter. Yes. Okay, wow. Yeah, okay. That's pretty much it. But uh, Blood I also don't like. I don't like feeling bad. You know how there are some yes. horror fans who are like, oh, I love to feel bad. And mm. it's like, feeling bad, I hate feeling bad. <laughs> yeah, true. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, it's one of your more relatable qualities, <laughs> one might say. <laughs> but that's weird. But this is something we've discovered doing this podcast, mm. right? Because I like this is, like I said before, this is outsider art. We're discovering mm. as mm-hmm. we go through. Yep. I've always loved horror. And this podcast has sort of shown me that I love feeling disturbed. Oh, it's I so loved, bad to feel bad. I man. loved the end of Hereditary where yeah. I just felt like the world was a slightly worse place. 
I got to the end of season two of Ted Lasso where like Nathan changed teams. Wow, I'm terrified it's, you. It's still upsetting me now. I'm like, oh, Nathan changed teams. Oh, Just feeling bad. So maybe sucks. you can't watch Train to Busan. Actually. Yeah, I'm, I might be in agreement here. <laughs> I just can't we just have nice films about nice things happening to nice people? I can that's oh. a good a good vibe. <laughs> All right. Well I think I think you said something really good before in that this is one of those great horror films where you could sum it up in a sentence or a tweet. Yeah. It's zombies on a train is what Train to Busan is. For the well and then some boring shit happens afterwards. Uh, yeah, apparently. and then the yeah. plot gets derailed. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 okay, so I didn't know a lot about Korean geography. I know Seoul and I know Gangnam obviously. And, and Busan now, and, presumably. Well I know Busan. So yeah. the way it works is Seoul is at the top of South Korea. Busan is at the bottom on the coast. So a train, in this case, it's a train going right across Korea. So this would be like, you know, train to Perth if the zombie outbreak started in Sydney. Wow. That yeah, would the gun. Be... Is it called the gun? It'd be called wow. the gun. The gun. <laughs> we just got an br- awesome new remake of Last Train to Frio. Another greenlit picture right here in the room. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So this film made in 2016, very small, uh, very small budget of 8.5 million, but made 10 times that, mm. uh, you know, has been an international success, blah, 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 blah. It starts with a chemical leak at a biotech plant causes the start of a zombie apocalypse that rapidly spreads across South Korea. Wow. Now, they, uh, I, I sort of was half watching this, you know, in the background uh, this morning, but I'm pretty sure they don't d- ever directly go, there's been a zombie outbreak. It's more, you just get little hints of it. You get flavour of it. Is that correct? Yeah, you kind of get like, at the top of the film at least, you just see like little things happening, but you kind of get glimpses from a distance that kind of mostly masked by different bodies like surrounding it as people are watching things going on. And then there's no official announcements. You get little things coming through social media or something when there's people looking at their phones. Now, what's really important about this is that the only people who know this is happening is the people that it's directly affecting, i.e. the people being killed by zombies. The rest of Korea is kind of going about business as usual. They might see a few more... In fact, it's one of those classic zombie movie tropes. There's lots more sirens. Mm. There's lots more screaming fire trucks and ambulances going around. But everybody's just sort of dealing with it. Now, I'm just going to pause this right now because this is a question I do want to ask and in fact this question goes out to both of you do you think post-COVID that we generally as a people are hornier wow I can only speak from my experience in fact and your experience Alexi is as a self-proclaimed expert in horny cinema Uh, yes genuinely speaking for anyone who doesn't know like Alexi hosted like Mike Check, uh, the podcast where we check back over the filmography of Mike <laughs> Myers just to see if they're still good. Yeah. Um, and and you asked of every film whether they made you horny. And so the question <laughs> is, Alexi, did COVID make you or make us all horny? It's an interesting wow. 
beautiful question, and I would say <laughs> my answer is from early from my own experience, I can really answer this question. Um, I would say no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I think um, I think I have reached the decline of my genre cycle, if you would put it that way, <laughs> in, in the parlance that we've been using so far. Yeah, you know what? I reckon I'm reaching my my later years in my life right now. Uh, look, if the, to the extent that's addressed to me, like I don't know about the same. Like, like, yeah, okay, sorry, fucking, uh, sorry. What are we I'm talking sorry. about? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to do this, but the reason why I ask, right? So I do a lot of work with the culture at my agency. And so part of that is just trying to get people to engage, you know, encouraging conversations. arousal level. No, 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 no. But I've noticed there's a willingness and I, I guess like there's a willingness to test boundaries now in public speech, particularly around sex and break those taboos to the point where recently, you know, Squid Game, as we know, is now the biggest show on Netflix of all time. It, it In the first episode, and I don't know how much he features in the rest of the, the series, but definitely in the first episode, there's a really famous Korean actor who stars in Train to Busan, who's also in the first episode of Squid, Squid Game, whose name's Gung Yu. And he plays in this game in the first episode where if... You, if you win this game, he gives you money. But if you lose the game, he slaps you on the face. And there was a real public discourse around everyone being like, oh, I'd want him to slap me in the face any day. But not in a like, oh, lol, in a very like, no, I would like him to sexually Please. slap me on the face. And we are not a kink-shaming podcast at all. Like, you want to be slapped by Gong Yu, go for it. But I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I've noticed a rise in the level of people publicly and collectively talking about kink, talking about, you know, sexual topics. That's why I bring it up. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are less limits now because people have just been, you know, interacting with each other through their computers. So they, they, you're less shame. There's less shame if you're not out there in public all the time, I would say. That's a good point. I know we're meant to be a yes and podcast, but I've got zero experience of this phenomenon <laughs> that I don't think it's happening. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, look, there's a fund manager, Siu Seok Woo, who mm. is played by Gong Yu. Mm. Uh, now, he's a cynical workaholic and divorced father. And look, I mean, would you agree that his character is pretty one dimensional? Like, his character is literally. He's a cynical, heart, yeah. like father who. If that's addressed to me, I haven't seen the film, so it's like kind of stated directly at him and about him <laughs> several points during the start of the film that his leading quality as a character is selfishness. Like within those words, like they use, they keep everyone keeps calling him selfish and selfish. He's identified as being selfish. But that is uh, where the character begins, you know? And and who knows where they'll end up on yes. this train ride <laughs> to, to Busan. Probably in Busan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so his young daughter, Sue Ann, wants to spend her birthday with her mum in Busan. He tries to soothe her with the gift of a Wii. Also, as a video game fan, I love how much just the, the console people are playing immediately goes, okay, I know when this is set. Yeah. Like, that for me is... That's better than costume. Like, I can't tell when a film is set based on costumes. Show me the console they're playing, and wow. I'll be like, it's 1993, because they're playing Sonic the Hedgehog 1. And that's probably... Yeah. I'll tell you, though, the Wii. Because of the Wii U's out of disaster, the catastrophic release, I've got no idea. I don't know when the Wii ran to, when the Actually, Wii U began. 
Good point, actually. And it's it's one of the most successful consoles mm-hmm. of all time. And it also was the beginning of, I guess, normalizing video games outside of a gamer identity. People stop video game shaming around the Wii's release because mm. Nan and Pop were loving to play 10-pin bowling over on <laughs> Wii Sports Island. Mm. Look, so, Animal Crossing is in our house. Like, I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so if you remember that they broke Su- the molds. <laughs> <laughs> that Suzuk Wu is a cynical workaholic and divorced father. So of course he buys his daughter a Wii to try and soothe her, mm-hmm. but she already has one. Yeah. Oh, he's so cynical. Ugh, fucking kids. <laughs> it actually has already got their own Wii. <laughs> it actually is a hugely disappointing moment. You're like, oh, this guy's a freaking doom, dude. He doesn't yeah. know anything. <laughs> He is then shown a video of Sue Ann suffering from stage fright at school because she was supposed to do a performance of the song Aloha Oi, which is that classic Hawaiian song, Aloha Oi, which, okay, so again, side note, I've gone through a voyage of discovery, thank you, Wikipedia, because this had a hyperlink to it. Yes, you got to click that link, turn it purple, babe. <laughs> so I did turn it purple. Yes. Oh my God, that is the horniest way of describing yeah. clicking on a link I'm I've ever back, heard. I'm back, baby, I'm horny again. I'm back. You've got your mojo back, <laughs> so, so get this right. Aloha Oi was written mm. in the 19th century by. Like this is not a promising anecdote. I've got to no, say no, just from the this. outset. Wait for this because this is so full on. I didn't know this because I don't know enough history. Right? Yeah. It was written by the last reigning monarch of Hawaii, Whoa. Lily Ukalani who was in power when it was fucking annexed by the United States. I didn't realise that Hawaii was essentially invaded and annexed by the United States. I thought it was just, like, friendly. <laughs> friendly. <added> to- <laughs> like, it was colonised in a friendly way. Like, yeah. can, can, like, like, why aren't we talking about this? Like, the world is fucked. Did you know this? I did know the I world did, is I fucked. I did know this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did know that. <laughs> And so she so she was a monarch, she was the ruler of Hawaii, wrote amazing songs, and then had to die as a private citizen in the United States when the United States were like, no, we're going to take this, yeah. this place. We're going to make it one of our states. Insane. That sucks. We are a anti-colonization podcast. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how to... Uh, look, I agree, Shag. Colonization, <laughs> got to go. All right. Okay, <laughs> no more. So, no more colonization. So anyway, so anyway, uh, overcome with guilt, uh, he decides to take her to Busan via an early KTX. So you know the um, the high speed train network mm. in Korea, one hundred one train from Seoul Station to Busan. So if you're a Sydney or New South Wales, <laughs> you're probably thinking about a Country Link XPT yes. service. The XPT. Yes, we're looking at an XPT type style train. <laughs> here. There could be a dining cart somewhere. Yeah. There could be a dining cart. <laughs> could be no. licensed. I yeah. I'm not sure if you guys ever did like went on the licensed XPTs. Wow. That's like having a holiday all by itself. It's pretty. I love the little XPT train. I, one of my strongest memories, most vivid memories memories in my life is I probably would have been about 11 years old and we had our first family mobile phone my mum had the mobile phone we were travelling back to Sydney on the XPT and some sort of Nokia bullshit not a 3310 it was slightly older because it had tiny aerial that you could pull out (laughs) stuff in it and I was just my mum had fallen asleep so to entertain myself I was just going through the ringtones trying to play the (laughs) ringtones seeing which one was the best ringtone or maybe my estimate 
probably 20 minutes and then a guy just comes up to me and just goes hey man you have to stop doing that (laughs) (laughs) we should do an xbt anecdote podcast that'll be (laughs) imagine telling our children how we entertained ourselves pre the metaverse like (laughs) what the fuck anyway okay so now, I told you there were multiple character arcs, so it's not just mm. about a shitty divorced dad and his daughter. There's also a working-class man, Yoon Sung-hwa, and his pregnant wife, Seong Kyung. There's a selfish COO, Yon Sok, so a chief operations officer. So, like, I don't know. What's the difference between a CEO and a COO? So this might chief, be boring. Yeah, you should, sorry. Like, you know my job is corporate governance, don't you? So, like, we can, we can go into it if you'd like. But... Or I can answer if you want, and I have no <laughs> yeah. idea. Sorry, <laughs> let's it would go be a guess <laughs> if I tried. Um, the executive is the boss of the operating, but they're on a similar strata, stratum. Uh, and... You populate your C-suite with your chief operating officer who does the operations, how the company goes about its business, the CFO, chief financial officer, how it goes about the numbers on the page, CIO or CTO, like chief technology or chief information officer who are going to be in charge of all the software and shit. I've been wondering what that stands for, for like maybe seven years (laughs) and I had never looked it up. There's CHO now, which used to be like human resources, but now it's like chief heart officer and it's like like, why do people and culture i'm the chief heart officer and the ceo sort of sits above all of those and is in charge Mm. of the executive and of course the executive are the employed people by the company and that's distinct from the board of directors so the board of directors Sorry, interrupt when it gets boring. I'll keep going. So, under so, all right, all right. So <laughs> I'm enthralled right now. I'm absolutely enthralled. So, so, yes, there's this selfish COO, and he clearly has COO syndrome in which he's not the boss, but he kind of thinks he's the boss. <laughs> and he runs, and because he's the chief of operations, I'm sure his boss really is the bottom line. So he reacts to situations like zombies on a train quite ruthlessly, yes. and that will come out as well. Uh, there's also a high school baseball team that includes baseball player Min Yong-guk and his girlfriend, the cheerleader Kim Jin-hee. There's a train attendant, Ki Chul, and then there's elderly sisters. And when I mean elderly, they're like old women, but they look like they've just got makeup on. So yeah. they're maybe like 22, but they've just got heaps of powder on their face. Yeah, there's one that looks so young. Like just one <laughs> of these like older grandmas. They call them grannies, like literally in the film. She looked younger than me. <laughs> she just has like a grey, not even a grey wig. They just put the grey powder in her hair, it looks like. One of them does look elderly, but the other one, my God, she's a spring chicken. Yeah, so there's, be on the the el- there's, there, there's the elderly sisters and there's a homeless stowaway. So there's there's quite a melting pot of characters mm. on this train to Busan. Mm. Okay. As the train departs, signs of chaos from the infection reach the station and an infected woman runs aboard unnoticed just before the doors close. So the thinking was, okay, we're on this train and maybe it's going to be this haven, but what it's actually going to become is a microcosm of the chaos that's being unleashed outside the train in Korea as a whole. She soon turns into a zombie. And so the way zombification works in this film is you get bitten and I think it probably takes like what? Does it take like half an hour, an hour? Oh, I reckon sometimes it's like almost instantaneous. This is, I I would say, probably the most unique thing about the zombies in this film or like the new upgrade that they have here is that the um 
the infection is very, very rapid. You turn into a zombie, I guess, dependent on where it gets you. Like, if they bite you in and the neck... And depending on the plot as well. Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> depending on how important the character is, what we need them to say before they start turning. Uh, but some of them, it's quite instant. Like, if it's on the neck, and if, sometimes if it's on the hand or some shit, takes a while. Um, and I think that is an interesting att- attachment to this because there's no room for hiding it, which is such a like powerful cliche of the Ramiro zombies and any real zombie movie is like someone's infected and they're like among you for a long time because they're embarrassed or they don't want to die. They don't want you to break their head off with like a baseball bat or something. It's a big plot point in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies as well. Yeah. Which, um, <laughs> of course. Of yeah, course. The original well. text. The original text where zombies come from. <laughs> the Jane Austen <laughs> Um So she turns into a zombie, attacks an attendant, and then many crew and passengers are quickly turned into zombies. The remaining passengers secure themselves in the front and rear cars, observing that the infected zombies only attack if they can see them or hear them. So, so... They're 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 only guided by their senses, mm. and they yes. can't operate train doors as well. Mm. Okay. So we're work- working by uh, Velociraptor rules from Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> now the people who are surviving learn from the news reports of the rapidly spreading epidemic across the country, and Silk Wu discovers the biotech plant was connected to his business. Wow, oh. Silk. And Silk Wood, two of the greatest <laughs> whistleblowers in film history. Now, he uses his connections mm. to try and secure safe travels for Sue Ann and himself. So, what? He, He's building his professional network on the train, being like, hey, great to meet you. <laughs> no, no, no. He calls some people because the networks aren't down just yet. Yeah. So, he's, he's able to calls. call some people. Yeah, he's making calls to be like, this train's going to Busan. I need some help for me and my daughter once we get there. Oh, okay. So I thought it was like, hey, hey, great to meet you. Great to meet you. What do you do? Yeah, okay. Now, there's there's like an emergency alert that the train's going to stop at Daejeon Station. Now, again, I turned this link purple as well. Wow. Because it had a link and I'm like, why? And I'm like, what? Maybe this maybe this, this station has some significance. We love to see a link go purple here in the podcast. <laughs> we love it. I'm sorry to bring it back to colonization, but I'm also, maybe I'm a fucking idiot. So Daejeon Station was created in the period, the first half of the 20th century. Did you know that Korea was a Japanese? Colony, right up until World War Two, it was a it was run by Japan. It was I under Japanese rule. Don't know I, if I knew that. I'm not sure I knew that either, Shag. Like, I think I've got to retreat, like retract my superiority thing about Hawaii and be like, I yeah. don't think I knew that about Korea. I'm just like, I'm just blown away, and it, it just the reason why is because we keep talking about how we're at this weird. The reason why we don't know is because we're filthy colonizers. <laughs> no, is why. No, we, but but we're in the we're in this we're in this mindset at the moment where we're like, oh, the world is exactly how it will be, and it will never change. And mm. it's like less than a hundred years ago, South Korea was a Japanese colony. That yeah. is insane. This is why it's important for white people to always check their privilege and turn those links purple. That's what you gotta do. That is how you check your privilege yeah. every day. You click a link and turn it purple. You learn and, more about the world. And back then, they only had pachinko machines to give to their daughters, not mm-hmm. not the exciting Nintendo Wii's. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's different. Literally, different, different the times. easiest way to check your privilege is to turn it purple. Exactly. Turn it, that should be our new like. 
That should be the new Are You Okay Day. Yeah, well, no, but you fall like, purple. Uh, sort of, I think you've got to turn it purple in context because I think you fall down a big far right like info wars yeah, hole if you turn it purple in the wrong spot. Yeah. Only, only res- you turn respected sources purple. Yes. <laughs> they must have a citation next to them if you're turning it purple. Okay, that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> all right, so the passengers get to Dejeon Station. They disembark into a vacant station but soon find the soldiers have become zombies. And You can't say vacant if there are soldiers in there. Like, I don't want to take shots at the Wikipedia drafters. It's either vacant or not. You can't be half vacant. Well, well no, here's how it works. Like, this is why it's quite an amazing and quite spooky scene. Yeah. So everybody goes out into what seemingly is a vacant station. And they yeah. have had information funneled to them saying like, oh, actually, this place is safe, but you will have to go into quarantine if you're around here. But that's kind of... That's the worst part of it. And so they they get to this station, they exit the turnstiles, they're riding the travelator down to the street. Oh, yeah. And halfway down, they notice the, the remnants of the army being overrun by what looks like hundreds, maybe thousands of zombies. And they are traveling down on a traveling. Mm-hmm. So they're not even just walking down. They are moving at pace, at velocity, into the mouth of their inevitable destruction. Sick. Yeah. I think this is the coolest scene in the film, perhaps. Because, like you were saying, you, the idea of an escalator has never been used so well before. You know, it seems like a no-brainer now. Like, this should have been in freaking Dawn of the Dead, where there's heaps of escalators around, where everyone's just being trapped and funneled down into this pit, and then the stairs are next to them. So you've got people trying to leap over to the stairs, people trying to turn around and jump on, like, walk up the escalator. This was so thrilling and so well done. And to have, like, that main character of that uh, working-class man trapped in there who starts taking charge of things, it's just, to me, this is the height of the film. And we find out who the real chief operating survivor is. <laughs> chief of operations. Yeah. All right. So several passengers attacked and killed as they race back to the train. While most of the surviving ones safely board the front cars, Suan, Song Kyung, Ingil, and the homeless man find themselves between two cars of zombies and manage to take shelter in the restrooms. So they're starting to get split up, right? So... Our father, and then Jungkook, Sunghwa, and two of Jungkook's three surviving classmates. So, e- each of the each of the groups of people have lost pivotal people, and they've got to basically reconnect. Mm. So, having stayed back to provide cover, race to board the moving train. Though Jungkook's friends are killed and infected during the escape, and end up in the back cars. The captain drives the train to Busan after learning has as he has been established as a quarantine zone. So, learning of their trapped loved ones, Seokwu's group uses the darkness of tunnels along the route to cross through the zombie-filled cars and rescue them. So, again... Oh, that sounds pretty thrilling. Yeah, yeah, Super good scene is that every time it goes in a tunnel, mm. the zombies effectively become blind and deaf, I guess. So, they can move up a few things. And when it comes out of the tunnel, they have to hide behind a seat. Yep. Yeah. Good, good. It's fantastic. Like, another great new addition to zombie lore in this film. And I I think it makes for, like, very interesting... Almost... I think part of why I like the train sections in this... It does remind me a lot of uh, the 
film Snowpiercer, where there's almost like a video game like quality to like the the progressing levels getting more difficult and then getting new advantages as you go through. And you know, as someone who started out as a video game fellow when I was a little boy, whenever I see something like video gamey translated successfully to film, I get very excited. Nice. You would have enjoyed Wreck then in that case, which I consider to be a video game, having never seen it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> So the group continues moving towards the safe front cars, but inadvertently alerts the zombies in the last car before the safe one. So a lot of the middle of the film is like a cat and mouse between mm. people almost getting safe and they're not safe, but then safe and people slowly get picked off one by one. Because this is not a film where everyone survives in the end. So, uh, Seok Woo and Sung Hwa stay back to hold the doors closed while the others escape. But Yong Suk has convinced Ki Chal and the other passengers that they are potentially infected and they should not help. So, this is the chief operation officer being like, nah, we can't let those guys in. They're probably infected. So, let's just save ourselves. So, business doesn't get a really good rap in this Oof. Yeah. Look, we're, we're a fairly anti-capitalist podcast, so I'm for the for the corporate lawyer in the room. I join the anti-capitalism <laughs> of the of this film. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. This is such a chilling moment as well. Like the the way it's interesting how much this is the bulk of the film, but because it is more minute by minute, the Wikipedia plot synopsis kind of like rushes through them, and it's interesting because this is. We've missed, we've missed so many of like the moments where there are um, people's relationships falling apart due to the infections. Like there's a scene where we have to go through the carriage where the base high school baseball team was. So there's like a carriage full of infected baseball players that this guy was friends with. These were like his high school compatriots and he has to like kind of make his way through and he's crippled by, he can't do anything about it. He can't fight with his, uh, with the people that now his crew going through. So really, I think that is the most exciting parts of the film is just the, the different personalities of each carriage and how they have to get through it. Yeah, sick. That is so important. And like I said at the start, there are all these amazing character narratives in this mm. that really do make the film. And also, when we talk about films being boring, if you tell me a whole film's mostly set on a train, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> 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 but these moments, as Alexei says, really make it. For example, we, we get into this point where, as I said before, Siok Wu and Sung Hwa uh, stay back to hold the doors closed while the others escape. But Yon Sook has convinced, you know, has, has said them that they shouldn't help. So after hearing her boyfriend calling, Jin Hee attempts to save them, but is restrained by the other passengers. So Sang Hwa, now you remember, he has a pregnant wife. He's a bit of a buffy, tough guy, but he really reveals himself in this moment because he's bitten and infected. And he decides to save everybody else. He wraps like things around his like fist to be like super tough. It's a very video gamey moment. Yeah. And just starts kicking the shit out of zombies, letting the others escape until he slowly turns into a zombie himself. He sacrifices himself, giving Sukwu time to get the others to safety. In Gil, one of the elderly sisters also sacrifices herself too to give time to the other survivors to lock the door. Now they make it through, but Yong Sok isn't done yet. 
because he doesn't want the passengers to trust these people, probably to save face on himself and make him not look like an arsehole. So he convinces them that they're probably infected. So he traps them in the very front of the train. So he's like, no, you guys have got, got to go to the cart after us and we've got to lock that door. Which to me is one of the most insane moves. Wouldn't you just go, <laughs> okay, you stay here. We're going too further to the front. Exactly, exactly. It's it's a very plot-friendly uh, move. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so... No wonder he didn't make it to CEO, I've got to yeah. say. <laughs> well, you because never it... know. The ending of the movie could be a happy Ooh. story for him. You don't know yet. <laughs> the boss calls. <laughs> the boss calls and is like, I heard what you did on the train. That was tough decision making in the heat of the moment. Under pressure. <laughs> that is probably the fantasy phone call that the CEO would get in this yeah. moment. He'd be like, they knew. They, they could see my leadership yeah. potential. All right, so John Gill's the other sister. Now, she is completely shaken by the passenger's selfishness. And after thanking Ingill, who's now a zombie, for everything, she just opens the door. And she's just like, everyone, including me, can die because fuck this shit. That's completely fucked. Which I kind of love. Like, Mm. going back to that conversation a couple of episodes ago, there's something kind of nice about the characters in zombie films who are like, well, if I'm going to die, either I'm going to die or everyone's going to die. Fucking deal with it. Yeah, there's a, there's like there's a, there's a grimness because it is to be compared with the I will lean into the certainty of death film mm. film trope. I will sacrifice myself Aragorn style to be like right. I'll just go in with a certainty of dying in order to give someone else a chance at life. It's a good contrast. Now Yong Sok doesn't die yet. They kill almost everybody left except Yong Sok and Kichul manage to escape into a restroom. Are these zombies eating brains as well? What are they motivated by? Nah, like, what are they excited just... about? Are they trying to do stuff? They love to suck the neck. That's the main <laughs> thing. They're mainly sucking the neck, I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's probably a... Like, I also think running zombies are also a budget thing. Mm. Like, when they're ah. running super fast, you don't have to do as much makeup. Mm-hmm. True. But you do more CGI, don't you? Wouldn't well, you? To blur them up? Also the gore as well, because the gore's like... Blah, 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 yeah, okay. blah. It's like an Andy Cap cloud fight yeah, yeah, rather with than fists a, and exclamation with fists point. And yeah. Everything's going everywhere. <laughs> rather than like a, you know a prolonged series of gore, like mm-hmm. in a Romero film where you'd slowly see a group of zombies pull the entrails out yeah. of the stomach of a still alive. Yeah. Slowly overwhelmed, and then just sausages falling out from this big <laughs> brawling pile. <Yeah. laughs> All right. So the train is forced to stop near East Daegu train station due to a blocked train, and the film does get derailed at this point. Yes. Uh, Tragically, I must agree with this statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yonsook, in his escape, uh, pushes Kichul, Jinhee, and and the captain into a pack of zombies, which is the most fucked thing there. He's basically like, zombies, deal with these guys so I can escape, right? Yonsook stays with Jinhee until she reanimates and kills him. So there's kind of a nice moment between this couple where they're like, I'm not going to leave you. And then it's a bit of a Romeo and Juliet. They both sort of die together. An out-of-control train causes a derailment, trapping Sukwu, Suan, and Seong Kyung, and the homeless man under a train car. The homeless man then sacrifices... There's a lot of people sacrificing themselves to people they've never met, which is both, like I I think, nice for human nature, but probably isn't true of human nature, although I hope it is. I think it's interesting as well that the screenwriters obviously like, do you know my favourite thing? It's when people sacrifice themselves Mm. for other people. I've got to get as many sacrificing themselves for other scenes in here as I can. 
Well, you'll see, it's all in helping the story get to a conclusion that's very solitary, but very linked to the mm-hmm. beginning of this film. If it's set in the boardroom of the corporation, I'll be very excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's how the guy goes to invent the Nintendo Switch. It's pretty awesome. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm fucked up with the start of the film buying a Wii, but I need everything I could to make something way sicker. We need a Wii you can take on the train yeah. to the car. Exactly. <laughs> no more ringtones on the XPT. <laughs> so the homeless man sacrifices himself to hold back a zombie horde while the others escape out of a small hole finding a working locomotive after releasing a train from a horde of zombies holding it back they head toward Busan when a zombified Yonsok so at this point we find out it doesn't even say it in here but it finds out that Yonsok is actually motivated by the fact that he's just trying to see his kid and he's basically like I don't care if any everybody else in the world dies. I just want to make it to see my kid, which I think complicates his character just enough so I, you sort of get it. Do you mm. agree? No. I guess so. I guess so. But I still um, would kill him. I would have yeah. killed him, <laughs> not just, like, throw him to the zombies. I would have, like, bashed his head or something, you know? Uh, I think I'd be much more melodramatic in this scenario. I'd be like, oh, guys... Don't worry about me. I'll go into the carriage. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> okay, now now this isn't a podcast that usually makes people cry. But okay, so and and this bit was like a little melodramatic, but I did kind of love it. Mm-hmm. So Yong Sok then at, uh becomes a zombie because he'd already been bitten, even though he didn't reveal it, attacks Sukwu and bites him before Sukwu can throw him off the engine. So now we have Sukwu and Suan on this train. They're on their way to Busan, but Sukwu has been bitten. So knowing he will turn into a zombie, he quickly teaches Seong Kyung. So Seong Kyung is a pregnant woman because generally in horror movies, unless they are A24, you, you can't all like total like yeah. evil splatterfest you don't human kill a centipede woman. two or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah unless it's a human centipede film you don't kill a pregnant woman uh quickly teaches young kyung how to operate the train and says his farewells to his sobbing daughter before succumbing to the virus and throwing himself off the engine in the second before he hits the ground he see we see flashbacks to him back when he wasn't a selfish mm-hmm. um unreliable dad loving being a dad loving his daughter and it's kind of a beautiful moment. And the fact that he had his redemption in the final moments of this film is kind of nice. I would say that is the thing that I thought was most special about this film is to have just such a clear character arc like that where it is a selfish character described as selfish by everyone that ever met him when his entire character journey is to become a guy willing to sacrifice himself in a zombie apocalypse. I thought that was really sweet and clever and I'd like that it wasn't done... It didn't hold back on the melodramaticness of that towards the end. I thought that was really... uh, I thought that was cool. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was nice. I thought it was sweet. I thought it was cool. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was nice. (laughs) Did you like it, Alexi, or no? No, no, It was pretty (laughs) nonplussed, actually, if I was to it. It it makes me want him to slap my face even more (laughs) than we did at the beginning of this film. Yeah, you gotta get that cheap purple, purple, dude. Oh, my God. All right, okay. So Seong Kyung and Suan are forced to stop at a blocked train tunnel just before Busan and walk. 
We then see that this tunnel is fortified. There are military. They haven't been overrun. And they're training sniper rifles at this tunnel. And they can't tell Mm -hmm. if they're zombies or not. They can't tell. And basically, they're getting this order from command being like, uh, I'm seeing some people walk. What should I do? And command's being like, don't don't be, don't be, like, just be safe. Take them out. Mm -hmm. We don't know who they are. Just take them out. And there's a moment where you're like, oh, wow, they're going to do this. Are they going to take us to this level and take out a child and a pregnant woman? And then Sue Ann, sobbing, starts singing Aloha Oi way better than she did at her recital. Yeah. No stage fright. <laughs> no stage fright whatsoever. And she's got probably a much larger audience now. That is how much she has grown during the process of this film. Now that's, that's a character, character arc. arc. Yeah, well. exactly. yeah, yeah, that's a character that's, arc. That's a good character arc. So they then realize that the pair are human and they help them to safety. So the zombies can't sing. That's that's another of their powers. <laughs> Dude, well, we, you I just mean, came up with a freaking third feature <laughs> film that we have to make. The singing zombies. <laughs> singing zombies. Once you get bitten, you get beautiful singing powers. Yeah, so and like and then do you want to run a zombie singing? So it's like that twister song with Kanye that's like blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> now that is cool. Or the like mumbling zombies who's like bizarre, that really boring D12 <laughs> member who, who couldn't rap. Well, yeah, this be, is maybe, this is actually being kind of widened out into a TV series, I would say, rather than a feature <laughs> film. There's enough lore here that we can play with this for at least three or four seasons. <laughs> but if we do keep it as a film, that means we can have a song at the end by Eminem that's yeah. like, singing zombies, 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 zombies. It became a trending sound for a little while. Like, I know you guys aren't necessarily super TikTok people, but it became a trending uh, sound on TikTok for like, I've recently had a glow up. So it would be like, oh, you know, like everything's a little bit boring. Here are some photos of me as an awkward 15-year-old. Venom, venom, venom. So like, <laughs> like, it's like a shot from them okay. in the gym or something like that. That's comedy goals. That's actually really funny. <laughs> it's really so depressing. I'm like, oh, these are both equally bummer kind of like <laughs> shots. That both of them are very depressing. <laughs> okay, Peach, Train to Busan. What did you Ugh. think? I'm brave enough to watch Train to Busan. I'll sacrifice my own. Yes. <laughs> I actually think you Busan. 100% could watch this one. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm feeling courageous. Dementors being in there. And again, uh, uh, I didn't really sketch this out for Alexi at the start. I think everyone's scared of jump scares, firstly. Mm-hmm. Um, if I faint because of blood, which apparently what some people do, and I'm one of those people who faints with blood, then maybe I'll faint, maybe I won't. Yeah. And then if you feel existential dread, well, you know, I've read a few, well, I've had a few Wikipedia pages read to me now and I'm sort of feeling a little bit more, a little bit more ready to go. So I've got my best friend Shag and my best friend Alexi yes. ready, ready, to, <laughs> ready to go. I'm feeling good. So if you are on the journey with Peach mm. and you're getting to the point where you want to watch a film, add this to the list of films yeah. that you could totally see next to Jennifer's Body. Gremlins 2. I've got to say, Alexi, can you think of any other horror films that you reckon for people who avoid horror films could potentially watch? Uh, Jumanji. Um, <laughs> the original Jumanji. <laughs> that is actually really scary. Yeah, I think so. To me, that's a good introductory for young people. Um that I always go to because I think it's like one of the best for children's horror films. Um, and then try to think. Peach, how do you feel about Ghosties? 
Well, ghosts are sort of less threatening because as we sort of learned in paranormal activity, like if they're going to kill you, they should just kill you, right? Yeah, like, yeah if, if ghosts can do while. anything and they haven't killed you, then why be scared? Ghosts yeah. are as threatening as bullies at high school, which is like they can make you feel very bad mm-hmm. in your heart, yes, but they're yes. probably not going to kill you. Yeah. Except for the fact that having bullies in high school changes fundamentally who you yeah. are as a person. Well, so would having your sleep interrupted by a ghost, I'm sure. Like, you know, regularly. It'd be pretty freaky. It'd mess you up. <laughs> I would recommend maybe a couple classic ghosties then. I would say that the Robert Wise adaptation, The Haunting, uh, The Haunting of Hill House or whatever it's called Sick. in book form, that is fantastic. And Robert Wise is one of the greatest filmmakers ever who's a total like genre hopper and he mastered almost every genre. He's um he, he's a West Side Story and stuff and Star Trek, the motion picture. He's one of the greats and his take on horror with The Haunting is really cool. And also The Innocence, the adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew by Jack Clayton from 1960 with Deborah Kerr, that is a really freaking cool, spooky, ghosty horror film. But I would say both are gentle enough, but have enough of like the existentially questioning things in there without, I would say, going all the way to existential dread. Now, um, one of the reasons we're super excited to have um, Alexi on here is because he's a, he's a great podcast host. Um, if anyone's not following and enjoying Total Reboot, you're making a bad, bad goof. Alexi hosts <laughs> about 47 um, film podcasts. Uh, we've spoken about Finding Drago before, Finding Desperado. We mentioned Mike Check earlier. Um, a number of people who listen, I'm aware, are Slaters who used to listen to the oh, Blank Slate back, back in the, in the day, day. Which, is, which is which is good fun. Um, but I guess Alexi would say your lead podcast at the moment would be Total Reboot. Is that yeah. a, is that a fair summation? Total Reboot is the weekly movie podcast that Cam James and yeah. I host. The yeah, original remakes. Slater baby, it's basically like <laughs> Blank Slate, but for a new era. And we do now, we just, this year we started doing a thing. We pick like an interesting topic for mm. a mini series and then just do films that we think are classics or interesting entries into that. Mm. So we just did for Halloween, if you like your horror stuff, we did Scream Ages, teen horror classics. Now we're just about to, we're just about to get out of here, but um, we had our takes on Halloween Kills recently, mm. Alexi, but, but what were your thoughts on, on Halloween Kills? If you're happy to give us a little taste of that, of the, of the total reboot magic that people yeah. can enjoy when they hop over to hop over to total reboot. Yeah. I'll give you a little taste um, mm. of it. Hey, I think hello. I feel, uh, I would say Verging on positive, I would say I'm probably closer. <laughs> I'm closer to positive, um, mm. because when I was really trying to think about like what do I want from a Halloween film, because I love Halloween, I love Michael Myers almost as much as I love Mike Myers. Mike Myers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, both of them are right up there for me as far as how much I love them in movies are. And I, it was hard to really say what I really want from a Halloween film because while I love the whole franchise, it's like maybe maximum three or four films I think are really good in it. Mm. And so when it came down to it, the things I think I want from each Halloween film is that font, the music, Michael Myers, um, the opening credits to have some sort of decomposing or recomposing pumpkin. And uh, that's it really. And this kind of... I mean, you could get a lot of those things from the Wikipedia page for Halloween. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I like reading those too. Um, But I think the interesting thing that I don't actually know where I stand on it, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts as well, is 
this is a very rare slasher film where there is no protagonist. It's almost like an ensemble uh, film. And I think that made me not feel any sense of danger because there was not someone I was completely aligned with, with a killer about to come get him. Well, having never seen it, my thoughts are <laughs> um, that Michael was sort of framed as the protagonist is mm. my understanding that Shag, Shag beautifully explained an opening scene where um, Michael comes out of the fire and attacks these firefighters. Yeah. And he's almost like, he was like, oh, it's almost like an Avengers killing CGI baddies that you're meant to be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth fucking kill these. But like, you're sort of almost being like, yeah, go get them. And so Michael, uh, the shape itself or Michael himself almost becomes your antagonist protagonist. Yeah. Shag. It's aware enough to know that that's what people want to see. And it does that. It's very meta in that sense. Mm. But don't you also think, and if you haven't listened to the Halloween Kills episode of either our podcast, definitely listen to that. Mm. But because we go into this first, in- because the title of <laughs> one's really good. I actually would yeah. say listen to us first because you go through the plot. We probably don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but don't you think, in a way, the protagonist slash antagonist was humanity's desire in 2021 to form mobs and immediately find a bad guy and cancel them before you have all the evidence. Yeah, we do love subtext in films, especially (laughs) when it bubbles up all the way to the top and becomes the actual text. (laughs) And uh, this is definitely an example of that. Um, But yeah, I think think that's the thing I missed most is that not having someone to feel danger with doesn't... Like, you know... even, like, Laurie Strode uh, returning Jamie Lee Curtis, she's not really protagonist. She gets Halloween 2 once again, just hanging out in a hospital the whole time. Then we've got uh, the Will Patton character, who's like Officer Hawkins. The cool thing is we have, like, almost two parallel storylines where he's the lead, where he go- we go back and we see what he was doing on Halloween night, where he feels responsible for letting Michael get away or live with things. And then... In the modern day, he's just stuck in hospital as well. So it's just, man, maybe I don't like this movie. It's where I'm landing. <laughs> if the most recent film named Halloween in the series was similar to the first film named Halloween mm. in the series, and if the most recent film in the series was similar to the film that's Halloween 2 in the series, mm-hmm. then does that mean that Halloween Ends is going to be very similar to Halloween 3 Season of the Witch? And we're going to have bugs and snakes <laughs> and androids and <laughs> that's what i'm hoping hopefully you get yeah. a microchip that turns kids heads into snakes and worms that's my my biggest hope for all this franchise bring on the age of witchcraft yeah. we oh, want Alexa. those warlocks <laughs> we want those silver shamrocks baby <laughs> thank you so much for joining spooko again really oh, appreciate it Alexi. pleasure thanks so much for having me gang what a beautiful friday we could hang out together hey Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's... What's up?